0: Well, hey there, everybody. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast, and I've got something really special for you guys today. We'll be talking about emergency room nursing, especially from the context of a new grad nurse. So if you're interested in exploring emergency room nursing, want to see what it's really like... Hang in there. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, as always, I like to take a moment to thank all of you who rate and subscribe and review the podcast. And I love to give my listener shout outs. So this one goes out to Golden Word, who writes, stellar content, easy to listen to. Thank you, Nurse Mo. Your podcast has been so helpful. You have a great voice and personality that shines through even via audio. You make it enjoyable to relearn nursing. You share such great information, both overview and summaries while integrating critical thinking to the mix. I highly recommend this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. It means so much to me to hear that the podcast is helping others. So thank you again so very much. So in today's episode, I promised you guys something really cool. So today I'm doing an interview with Michael Smith from the Real Talk School of Nursing podcast. So if you haven't yet started listening to the Real Talk School of Nursing podcast, go check it out. Michael is an amazing voice in the world of nursing. He shares a lot of real world tips and advice. It's kind of like Going along on a job shadow with someone who works in the ER. He also talks a lot about life balance and how nursing and school and life all come together. So go check that out. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Okay, Michael, I want to start with you telling me a little bit about your background and what led you into nursing.
1: Well, first off, I want to say thank you for bringing me on to your podcast. I've been a longtime follower of yours. And as a nursing student, bought a bunch of your products. And and uh, I think you and I communicated with each other early on. And I said, you know, hey, I bought this. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, you need to update that. So I think you sent me some some updated stuff after I started with the podcast. And that was fantastic. So if if there's anybody out there who's listening to the podcast the straight A nursing podcast, you should absolutely go out and get some of her uh, learning aids because they're fantastic. And I use them, which were very helpful for classes. Well, so, that's great.
0: Thanks for, thanks for the, for well, the promo. Okay.
1: So like one of the things that separates you and I, cause we're both podcasters or well, I am a podcaster and you do a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that separates our two podcasts is that you are content driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also go into stuff that's, that's not content driven. And I'm, and that's the, kind of the space that, that my podcast lives in is that we, um, I, I just do the, the life outside of school because that to me that has so much impact on school and I can't, and, and, you know, the things at home, it's the, it's the, you know, uh, making sure that you have, uh, a good study space, make sure that you have all of those things mm-hmm. in place. Oh
0: yeah. That's also that, that important. Can,
1: that can have such a huge impact on you as a, as a, as a student, when you, when you don't have those things in place. So that's the thing that separates us too. And so I, I totally appreciate the, the, the content providers like you because I don't do that at all <laughs> because I have people who are smart like <laughs> you to do it. <laughs> So that's the, that's the, that's the benefit. So if anybody is listening to either of our podcasts, definitely go because nurse Mo has so much amazing stuff and you should absolutely go and get some of that stuff. So to answer your question, um, introduce you to myself. So, um, I was an infantry officer in the, in in the U S army for about 10 years and I was in combat and I'm a purple heart recipient. And, um, and And what that means is that I was wounded in combat when my vehicle was struck by a roadside bomb. Wow. And uh, that kind of that was kind of the 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 turning point for me uh, from being able to see myself only as a warfighter, only as a combat guy, only as an infantryman, and seeing myself maybe like maybe there's stuff that I shouldn't be doing now. I shouldn't say that there's, there's, there's other things that I could be doing. And, and that kind of, that, that, that was the, the impetus um, for my nursing career. Um, so I, I, I exited the military and did uh, various jobs trying to find myself. I took prereqs for school. I applied to a few different programs. And uh, the first time I applied, I didn't make it, uh, didn't make the cut for my first application. And then Um, you know, just try to keep working. My kids were born, you know, as life happens. And, uh, and then I applied for the next round, and I was accepted into three different programs, like a year or two after I can't remember, Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and got into the program that it was really targeting. And so that really helped. Um, And then my medical career, if I can do that kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. Um I I've I've always worked in the ER and I've worked in the ER since uh 2016 when I became an EMT. Um and let's see I've been at a L1 trauma center for closing up on 2 years. Um and I went into a direct entry masters of science, uh masters of science and nursing program. Um and if there's question about that, all that means is that I I wrote a lot of papers. (laughs) I think we went to
0: the same type of program.
1: Oh my God. God. It was so (laughs) much, it was so much research and so many papers. And I did a master's thesis, which which I loved and hated, but yeah. And um, I kind of got typecast into my master's thesis subject, uh, which I did my utmost to avoid, uh, which was veteran suicide, Mm. which is a a subject that is close to my heart. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to avoid it because I was afraid that I couldn't be unbiased in, in what I was searching for. Um, You know, and and I won't go into that for the same reason I don't want to go. I didn't want to do it in the first place, but you know, in the end I was too, too passionate about it. And I have too many personal experiences that are unfortunately the majority of the experiences of veterans even after doing all that research, <laughs> so um, so anyway, so uh, the podcast started in uh, like February or March 2016, and I took it over in November 2018. And uh, generally speaking, um, I'm really bad at social media in my personal life, so I've gotten rid of it and then just focused on just the just the podcast stuff. And you're and making that's, some
0: great memes; they're hilarious.
1: I, I have really enjoyed that, and then once <laughs> I really had, funny. so I I had a co-host come on for a little while, and and God bless her, like uh she was she was um the impetus for a lot of change, but I wasn't ready for so many changes in such a short amount of time, and and she was really she's just she was she was really ambitious, and she's just like I got to do my own thing, and I'm like you know, God bless you to go, you know, go, mm-hmm. go forth and do great things. And, and on her exit, uh, she was just like, here's one of the apps that I saw that can be helpful for making memes. And I was like, and finally I could put, uh, I could put forth content that I had always seen in my head and never been able to make. Mm-hmm. So that was That's really funny. fun yeah, no, it's really, you know, it like, I always, always had lots of ideas, but I didn't know how to make them easily. And then, you know, now I do, so I can do a bunch of stupid stuff. And it's, and it's funny now because uh, people are, it seems like people are so easily offended by everything. Like they're very sensitive to things. Um, and I've really tried to avoid that because, you know, because I want to be accessible to everybody. And right. I want, I want people to be able to see this and be like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. And, you know, and ridiculous and funny and relatable. And uh, so I've tried to avoid a lot of that. And and thus far, thus far remained relatively, (laughs) relatively successful in avoiding a lot of the pitfalls. So yeah, so that was fun.
0: Yeah, you hit 5,000 followers.
1: I know. On I your Instagram, I couldn't believe it. Like I, I looked at it one day and it was like four ninety eight. Yeah, it was close. And then, and then like a few days later, it was like four nine ninety nine. And then I was like, oh my, I just need one more. I need one more. And the next time mm-hmm. I looked at it, it was like four like, uh, four, nine, seven, eight, or something like, what
0: happened? That's awesome. (laughs) So if you guys want to follow Michael's, uh, Instagram, it's real talk nursing and it's hilarious.
1: Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been a fun ride and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been weird through all of this.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, but, but I think it's been fun and, and, and I like the, I kind of like the outlet of, being able to just like bring experiences that I have as a, as a nurse and being, being able to relate those back to uh, like my experiences as a nursing student. Cause obviously mm-hmm. I'm a nursing school podcast. So it's right. It's, it's, it's fun to be able to kind of like, okay, remember all those things you worried about in nursing school? Well, here's the truth, you know, <laughs> here's a whole bunch of
0: other things to worry about. Right.
1: <laughs> Don't just wait until you get into the actual profession. You're screwed. No, you're not really screwed. You're not really screwed. No, no,
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's different, but yes, I totally it get is, what you're saying.
1: No, it, it is. It's, um, the difference between nursing school and nursing is I think the pressure changes. Um, Definitely. Uh, I think nursing school today is a lot of, um, people who are, um, obsessed with being perfectionists, and there's a bunch of like, there's this feeling out there in nursing school that is, that is really like, um, it's about like, if you screw up once, you're done, oh, you're yeah. done and you have to be perfect. And there's way too much of the, there's way too much of the, the idealism about what nursing is. It's, you know, it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows and. Patients are going to appreciate you and all of your experiences as a nurse are going to be amazing and joy filled and satisfying. And that's not true.
0: That's so not true. And I think what I will typically see students go through is this like shift where when they're in school, it's sunshine and roses and... Just the idealism. And then when mm-hmm. they hit the reality of it, there's a huge culture shock. I mean, there we could talk about that for an hour.
1: For 10 <laughs> the hours. The culture shock.
0: Of, your I've patients don't a- appreciate you. They're going to be jerks. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes.
1: You're going to make mistakes. A million other things. And it's things. okay. Yeah. And it's okay. Totally and that, okay. And I, and I, And I think that's one of the differences between – that's one of the pressure differences, I think, between, Mm -hmm. like, nursing school and the actual nursing profession is that is that in nursing school, the expectation that nursing Mm -hmm. students have of themselves uh, somewhat supported by toxic instructors – we'll just say toxic instructors – that you have to be perfect
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and you don't have to be perfect – like – let me, let me rephrase. You have that feeling that you have to be perfect in nursing school. And, and the expectation once you become a nurse is that mistakes are part of learning, right? Like you don't want to make errors. Errors are different. Yeah. Errors is, is you're supposed to give, uh, I don't know, um, 10 of Lasix and you give 40 of Lasix or something like that. Or you're supposed to give, uh uh you know lactated ringers as a as a bolus and you're giving normal saline. Like yeah. is that a well maybe that's a bad example because that's probably not that big of a deal. But like medication like medication. <laughs> but it would errors. get you
0: in trouble in nursing school. It would
1: it would it get huge a it trouble. would get you in major trouble in nursing school maybe if you didn't even expelled right thing. <laughs> which which obviously doesn't you know um those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks. Like right like show me the nursing instructor who never made a mistake as a nursing student who never made a mistake as a, as a nurse. And I will show you the, 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 the nursing instructor who never actually practiced nursing.
0: Exactly. It's like, exactly. Uh, I I,
1: ha- I had, uh, I was a big horse person uh, in a previous life and, and uh, people would be like, well, I've never, I've never fallen off a horse. I'm like, so you've never ridden one. Because that's the only way you've never fallen off a horse.
0: Good analogy. I like Good that. Analogy. I think it. Yeah, I think it is important that we remind students to give themselves some grace. And I know grace. with your podcast, um, talk a little bit about school life balance and how your podcast and your approach to that promotes that school life balance, which is so important.
1: So, um, I think the 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 proper balance for me, if I'm if I'm talking about work or, or school life balance, the proper balance to me is imbalance. Like if you want to make it through school, you know, okay, let me, let me back up. My, my journey through school follows, you know, a similar pattern to everybody. Everybody goes through, through, through the same three stages, which is prereqs, you know, nursing school when you're, when you're in the thick of it, you know, NCLEX prep and new grad. And so I try to, I try to follow that pattern with my, with my podcast and I try to do it. So, so somebody who's listening to it can, can get something out of it, no matter what stage they're in. And then if, if I'm lucky, they'll go back and they'll listen to it again when they're at a different stage Mm -hmm. and maybe pick something else up. So it's, so it's, there, there's some, there's some universality to it and there's some, There's, there's a legacy value. Um, so my overarching theme is that there's more to nursing school than just learning content because life continues on whether or not you're in school. And it's my belief that that's, you know, when that's out of balance and, and again, I'll, I'll talk about that balance later, but, uh, when that's out of balance or things outside of school are taking away from school, that needs to be fixed. Um, because when you're in school i think too many people believe that school and life should be like 50-50 i don't understand why i can't go out with friends i don't understand why i can't you know three nights a week have dinner with my spouse and and have a sit down dinner for an hour and a half with my family and i feel like i'm ignoring my kids if you're an, if you're a new mom i mean mm-hmm. the nursing profession is is female dominated and um you know, there's, there's a lot of stress for, uh, for women to have both career and family at the same time. And that can be a really hard balance to, mm-hmm. to catch, I think. And so, you know, when they're, you know, for, for me, I was a non-traditional student. I was 35, I think, or I don't know, 30 something when I started nursing school and I had twin two-year-olds at home. Wow. And, and, and that was a, and that was hard. And if I was a mom in those same circumstances, it would be very difficult to be both a mom and a nursing student at the same time, because the balance in nursing school is imbalance. balance. Um, so people think that they should be able to balance school life, social life and sleep
0: And And some people have to work on top of that
1: and, and work, work, which, which I kind of include in my mind as part of personal, personal Mm -hmm. life. And and I just don't think that's realistic. Um, you know, nursing school isn't like being an English major or like a philosophy major, you know, for those of you who are in a brick and mortar four year, traditional Mm -hmm. BSN program at a, you know, at a traditional university or college, uh, this is a serious education for like a serious profession and the balance again, in my opinion, should be tipped heavily, heavily towards school. Um, and so you're going to have to say no to things like social engagements, you know, with friends and family, and you're going to have to sacrifice sleep in order to graduate successfully from nursing school. So again, the, the, the balance is Mm -hmm. imbalanced towards school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an expectation students maybe should have from the beginning. Mm. So they're not so blindsided by it. And I think if you plan for that imbalance, you could still have a little bit of your life versus what I did was where I had no life. (laughs) I was that perfectionist student with that unrealistic pressure. And I would go months without seeing friends or were how how old were you
1: when you started your your initial entry program
0: like my prereqs or actual the nursing program itself no
1: that your yeah your initial licensure program
0: I was I'm gonna out myself here I was 38
1: okay okay I think so, I was you so know I had already been to
0: college once
1: right right yeah and me too
0: it was so much more fun the first
1: time.
0: <laughs> I Youth is was wasted
1: on the young, I tell you.
0: I had, yeah, it was great. I was way more <laughs> into the social aspect. And, you know, I got a, you know, a fun degree. I got a degree in communications and worked in <gasps> advertising. That's you my degree. It? Yeah, it's yeah. a great degree. Um, <coughs> probably why we do this now, right? No, um, I, but no. then, yeah, when I went back to school for <laughs> nursing, it was, whew, and I kind of lost myself in that. I didn't have I think, imbalance. I had, I was a hundred percent
1: school. And, and I, and I think that's, I think that's easier to make that kind of sacrifice when you're a little bit older because you mm-hmm. you go, cause I'm here for a purpose. I'm not here because my mom told me or my parents right. have some ex- expectations or something like that. You're, you're there because you, as an adult, as a, as a well-established mm-hmm. adult, in, in your own household and you've been doing your own thing for 10, 15, 20 years, you know, you can do that. But, but I think, I think where people get trapped up, I think where people get, uh, the trouble that people have is that, you know, there are people who are, who'll say be like, but I know this one person who did X, Y, Z, they did nursing school and they worked 40 hours a week and still spent time with friends And still got to go out and still got a 4.0, you know, and I'm not saying those people aren't out there because I know a few of them. And I like one of them worked for my or one of them was in my cohort. Mm -hmm. I hated her guts (laughs) because she was so good at everything, everything. No, she was she was like she was. um I think 10 or 15 years older than I was. Like, so a very, you know, like Mm -hmm. well, well established in her career. She had three grown children, you know, who are in their teen, not grown children, but, but in their teenage years, not very, not toddlers, but like still very involved. Like they still had sports and Mm -hmm. friends and social lives and trying to keep up with that stuff in the teenage years, I think can be, can be challenging. And, and did this and she and she worked a full-time job and she and she literally like stood, I mean, figuratively, literally figuratively, stood on the desk of one of our instructors. Again, not literally, don't do this. Uh, <laughs> and 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 had a and had a cow because uh she was gonna miss a 4.0, you know, in this in pharmacology because this, you know, because we had a new instructor. Da, 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 a bunch of, a bunch of drama or whatever, mm-hmm. but like, but like, I mean, this was a huge deal to her. And I'm like, and I'm over here going, I'm cool with 85. Exactly. <laughs> pass exactly. Is a pass, baby. <laughs> pass is a pass.
0: Um, okay. I want to talk oh. a little bit because a lot of my students are, you know, thinking about their options when they graduate and I get a lot of questions about, um, specifically can a new grad work in an emergency room and earlier you said l1 and can you mm-hmm. explain what that means because they may not know what that means just yet
1: um so there's there's different levels of trauma centers so like a, a level four or a level five trauma center those are the your like critical access hospitals um and those are uh those are going to be like out in, out in the very rural areas. Um, they have less resources. They, they don't have all the specialists who who come in. Um, and as you get higher, you know, as you get higher towards like a 2 L1, um, you have, you know, trauma surgeons who show up to codes, you have, you know, uh, respiratory therapy, you have general surgery, you have all of these resources that show up, every time a critical rig comes in. And so I work at the, at the highest level trauma center and I'm still, I'm still under two years. So I don't do more of the, the, and it, cause it takes several years for you to get the experience to where they start training you for, uh, for that, that Mm -hmm. level of, um, of care. And, and I'm right on the cusp of that. Like they're like the, the manager and, and uh, my supervisors are like, we just got to get some time mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and this is the worst possible time <laughs> in order to make time. Right. So, so I'm, uh, you know, so I do a lot of the triage and triage for us is like one of the pieces to that critical care. Cause you have to be able to uh, recognize um the difference between and this is an oversimplification between sick and not sick it's
0: mm-hmm. right. a super
1: over over complication like this somebody who's like this person is septic and they're going to have a they're going to have a lactic you know of i don't know three or something like that versus somebody who's very um histrionic and maybe doesn't have anything wrong with them, but appears to be very sick. Like mm-hmm. you have to be able to tell the difference and it takes time to, to develop that, that level of discernment um, prior to having labs, lab values. Right. Um, so that can take, that can take us some experience. So, so uh, L1 to L5, L1 is the, the highest level trauma center. So that's when you have the most amount of resources and um, uh, and can, take care of everything from gunshot wounds to, uh, severe sepsis to strokes to, uh, severe seizure disorders. I mean, the, the gamut that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's, those are the, the ERs that are taking care of literally everything. And, and that's why it takes some time to get to that level. So I am not, I'm not, um, Uh, coming to you from a I have 20 years of experience Mm -hmm. I'm still I'm still kind of in that I'm not a new grad right Uh, I've I've got I've got an extreme amount of volume of patients on Mm -hmm. my side uh, but I'm not yet at the at the point where I'm taking care of the the trauma patients who Mm -hmm. are coming in and it's like we're, we're transf. I'm not transfusing four liters of, of whole blood into a patient right now. Mm-hmm. That's not my level of, that's not my level of experience yet.
0: Okay. I think it's important that students here, because I think a lot of them think that once they graduate and get their license and get a job, they're going to be expected to have this vast amount of knowledge. Oh my and a gosh. lot of them are really scared about that. So I d- yeah, it's a great reminder that especially in critical care areas like the ER, like the ICU, you're kind of considered new for years. Like I considered myself a new ICU nurse for five years.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And then after about five years, I started to feel like when I showed up for work, I could handle whatever came through the door. The ER though is a way less controlled environment.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. I, I, I... Uh, the the nurses that I respect the most are the float pool nurses
0: oh yeah the the nurses
1: who can go who can go both you know in a single shift literally in a single shift can go from the ER into the ICU and flourish in both of those environments yeah those are the nurses you know and 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 that's a and that's a career path that I think gets overlooked way too often Mm -hmm. is float pool Um, because if they will take you I think that is such a wealth, that is such an incredible foundation of, of, of experience that you could get that I think it's overlooked a great deal. But, um, but I also, but I wonder, I wonder from my experience as an ER nurse, if, um, if it took you five years because of the, um, is it because of part of it is like the length of stay, how long patients are expected to be with in in an ICU? um, The, the, the volume of patients, the different things that you see, like, do you think that's why it took five years for you to feel somewhat comfortable with that?
0: I think a lot of it was again, my perfectionism. So (laughs) I, so I think there was that I worked, in a uh, I don't anymore work in that medical ICU but at the time we saw everything except for hearts hearts went to a different facility that sure. we saw yeah. the neuros the sepsis the dka's yeah. the gi bleeds all of it so there was just a lot to learn there was just a, a lot of variety mm-hmm. um, i think the first year i was physically ill every day that i walked into the unit
1: I think that's, I think that's, I, but I think that's a really important thing for people to know. I think that's Mm -hmm. a really important thing for nursing students to know is that like during orientation, especially, especially Mm -hmm. you're like, I, like even doing my podcast the entire time, even doing all of that and, and kind of having some, some overarching perspective of of how things go and how careers go and all of that stuff. Like there are so many times where I was just like, my God, I I don't know if I can make it through this orientation shift. Like I'm so stressed, just, just pulling into the parking lot Mm -hmm. like and seeing how many cars are, you know, in the, in the, in the patient parking lot for specifically the ER. Cause we have like a specific lot just for right. the ER patients separate from. So you could kind of get hospital. an idea of
0: what you were walking into at work. Every oh my day. gosh.
1: Yeah. And so it's just like looking at that and just going and just being so stressed out, mm-hmm. so stressed out about, about like what's to come. And just being like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. Right. Like I, like I really don't. And 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 that's and I think that's an important thing to understand that will happen. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't, I think you're a dangerous nurse. Right. I feel like if you're like, oh, it's going to be fine.
0: I got this. <laughs> like, no, you don't.
1: <laughs> on day three. On day three. Oh, it's going to be fine. But like you're going to kill somebody.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Please don't. Yeah. So I think it was good. I had
0: that hyper awareness. You know, it wasn't a fear that paralyzed me, but it certainly made me extremely careful and very stressed out for a long time. But I think
1: you like, but I think for your line of work in an ICU, I think that that attitude is proper, Mm -hmm. is proper. And, and in, on my side, on the ER side, uh, there's a lot more of that kind of wild, wild west (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Like we
1: deal with a lot of ambiguity. Yeah. And 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 um in one of my previous episodes, I had uh um Fire Department Chronicles, uh Jason from Fire Department Chronicles on, and he, we talked about like EMS mm-hmm. and 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 the level of of ambiguity that those guys deal with oh, yeah. makes makes us sound like we're just like in this posh, you know. <coughs> <laughs> you know, in this posh job or whatever, you know, cause they really walk into people's houses. Oh yeah.
0: My husband's and, a firefighter. Oh, I hear oh it all gosh. the time.
1: Oh my gosh. So, so the level of ambiguity between ER and ICU, I think is, is probably one of the hallmark differences. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what separates, that's what separates us a lot is that we deal with a lot more ambiguity and we're dealing with more like, like we're starting from zero treatment. And, yeah. and by the time, like I consider by the time I'm sending somebody up to a, like a med surge unit, for example, that patient, they, their, their labs are more or less, uh, imbalance. Um, we've corrected, we've corrected hemoglobin if they needed blood, uh, we've corrected, uh, uh, electrolyte imbalances They're you know, they've got fluid on board. They've, you know, I've Mm -hmm. cleaned them up because they come in and they're in all kinds of states of like um, I I think it's kind of funny when when I see memes, (laughs) when I see memes about like med surge nurses uh, giving ER nurses uh, a hard time about like, well, they pooped in the elevator, the patient pooped in the elevator or something like that. I was Mm -hmm. like, well, first off, I'm not transporting my own patients because I'm, you know, I think everybody above a level three is is like they have transportation aids and stuff like that because they're a big enough hospital. Mm -hmm. So we're not transporting them anyway. So like, look, when they left me, they were clean.
0: They were fine.
1: They were fine. Like, and, and you should have seen them when they arrived because, you know, they, I, without going into extreme detail and getting into gross detail about the things that I see on a, on a nightly basis, you know, when people come in, they're wearing, you know, like layers upon layers of briefs and, and pads and this stuff. And they're all output soaked. Mm-hmm. How's, how's that for putting it gently? That's they're that's
0: I've, I've seen that.
1: <laughs> and so, you know, by the time they come through, like I'm the, I'm the nurse, like I try to get them as cleaned up as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Like I try to get them to that point, but if they poop in the elevator, if they poop in the elevator, that's not my deal. It
0: happens. (laughs) It happens.
1: It does does happen.
0: So one Um, of the things I think you are really like the theme of a lot of that, Michael, is that if you're going to work in the ER, you need to be comfortable with being really uncomfortable a lot of the time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of
0: training would a new grad get in an emergency room?
1: Um, Well, so orientation, let's, so if I'm talking about orientation, orientation is going to be a steep learning curve. And, and I mean, when I say steep, I mean steep learning curve. Um, there's, there's a lot of extra pressure because there's, there's so much variability. Mm-hmm. Um And so orientation is going to be longer. Like my, My sister-in-law is also a nurse, and she was – actually, it's kind of cool. She's a nurse on the floor that I did my preceptorship at, and I introduced the manager there to her or her to whichever way it went. But Mm -hmm. I was just like, uh, if you think that I am at all worthy of working on your floor, uh, she's like 10 times better than me, 10 times smarter. You should absolutely like – like hire this hire this person because you will be ten times better for it, and you know, and she was like a charge nurse in six months, you know wow. n- you know, uh, like she's brilliant, she's mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant, so um yeah, so anyway, so the uh so your your orientation is gonna be longer, and um and then you in a unit like an ER the breadth of knowledge you need to attain. To be able to work independently as a nurse, I think, is pretty vast. So orientation um, isn't going to be a relaxing experience, you know. And if your preceptor is good, if your preceptor is good, they're going to bring you to the edge of being overwhelmed because because they have to try to dance that line between volume and experience to to prepare you to be a Mm -hmm. safe clinician um, and that's a really that's really hard. Like I, I give I give credit to a lot of the, the the preceptors who have the ability to to balance that because the ability to to give you volume without get without bringing you to the point where you can't learn stuff because you're just so busy is is very difficult. Um, and in my own experience, I struggled a, a lot with the with the high volume and high acuity of of my ER, and um, I'm grateful for that hardship and mm-hmm. that butt whooping.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you probably learned a lot from it.
1: I'm, I'm grateful for it now. I'm grateful yeah. for it now because at the time, I, I recall many occasions. You know, driving up to the hospital, like I said, where it's just like it's like I, you know, it's it's three minutes before I'm supposed to clock in, like, and uh, I'm kind of wondering if it's too late to call out
0: (laughs) i probably is
1: (laughs) you know it's like you know alaska has some has a bunch of empty lots and i just i have a little bit extra money maybe i just buy one of those and move up there Mm -hmm. um but but i i think it's important for new grads regardless of what unit you go to i think it's important uh to remember that you don't learn to be a nurse until you get to your unit because Mm -hmm. the things that nurse mo had to learn as an icu nurse are so different so different than the things that i had to learn as as an er nurse and that's different from a floor nurse because you can have a you know a cardiac unit you can have or a cardiac tele unit you can have a neuro unit neuro units are extremely hard. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn very different things there. Uh, If you're, if you're going into the OR, those are very different different skills. It's a, it's a whole different thing. So, so I don't think that it's healthy for nursing students to expect that, that when they arrive on a new job, that they have the ability to be an effective nurse. You're not going to be a nurse on day one. Like you have your RN. God bless you. Like, like nobody is going to take that away from you, and and we love you that that you're there on the unit, but don't have the expectation. I I think it's healthier for you to not have the expectation that you're going to be effective. I think that's it. I think it's critical for your own mental health that you go into the situation expecting that your life is going to suck and you suck at your job <laughs> because. Not and not because you're stupid. Right. But because but because you have so much to learn. Right. Because um, uh, my friend Mark Klimek, uh from Klimick Reviews, he would say that nursing school uh, teaches you how to be a novice generalist. Yes. And that gives you that gives you a, a very basic foundation. Nursing school gives you a very basic foundation of what uh, what you need to know in order to be a nurse. But in order for you to be an ICU nurse, like Nurse Mo,
0: mm-hmm. or an
1: ER nurse like me, or uh, an OR nurse, or a or a neuro floor nurse, or a, a cardiac unit nurse are very different. So that's...
0: Yeah, I think a lot of students are shocked when they start working to realize how much they don't know, and how much learning there is still to do so that's a good reminder there.
1: the 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 thing that I kind of say is is that you know one of the th- what I wish that students would realize on the day that they graduate and that they and the day that they pass their NCLEX is that is that now their education begins. Right. Like there's more learning ahead of you than there is behind you, and that's where your real education gets is that once you mm-hmm. start your job, because you know do, do I, there's tons of stuff that I don't know. I like, I'm continually surprised and, and pleased and pleased, um, that there's so much for me to learn. Um, we get, we get nurses who come in and they want to come to the, the ER from, from the ICU or something like that. And I love talking to those. I love talking to those nurses. Cause they're so smart about stuff, you know, it's like, well, this is, you know, if you look at this, this is this means that it's pre renal or it's a pre renal problem, and if you look at this, like this is this is intrarenal, and this is you know, and it's just like wow, how, like how did you know that? Like that's so cool, like you know, because they've and, taken
0: care of a million patients in renal failure,
1: right, and, for days and on end, yeah, for days and weeks and months
0: yeah. on end. <laughs>
1: yes. So, like, 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 what I like about the the nursing profession is that there's so much to learn, and and it's um and I have so many opportunities to do so and mm-hmm. I like that and I like that
0: yeah let's talk a little bit about the personality traits that would make someone successful in the ER like I I used to think I would be a good ER nurse and then I realized I probably don't have the personality for it and now I know I don't because I mm. have to have a controlled environment And I, I like controlled chaos. I just, I don't know. I don't think that I would have the right mindset for it.
1: I, I, I respectfully disagree. I think everybody can be an ER nurse. Really? I I think, I think, um, for people like you who need to have a control, like an element of control of that, I think that. I think that you would be an excellent ER nurse because because you exude control on a situation, because you are taking a chaotic situation, a chaotic patient, a patient that has so many different things going on, and you have the ability to go important, 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 not important, not important, not important, and, and prioritize things and then exude control and, and order on that chaos. And I think that is so important. I think that is, I think that is just like the ability and the knowledge in order to exude control in a situation is one of the principal things, uh, that I think are important for you to be, uh, for you to have as an ER nurse. And, and so I think people who are ICU nurses who really want, like they want each of their <laughs> are you going to talk their... about
0: labeling my lines? Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's real. No, like I, like, I love
0: you know, to label my lines.
1: I don't judge. You know, <laughs> I don't No, I don't. That's, that's a thing. Like I, like I'm in, I'm in the middle of a, you know, I'll have patients that are like, I take care of patients who are going to ICU and I'll have them for hours. And, you know, so I get a glimpse into the life that you have. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I've got I've got two different lines or, or more like I've, I've had three different lines in, uh, in patients and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I've got, I've got two different uh, bolus fluids going. So I'll, I'll have like normal saline and I'll have something else going, you know, I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever the deal is. Um, I'll have heparin, I'll have um, uh, cefepime, or ceftraxone and vanco and this, you know, and, and potassium going and I'll have all of these stuff. And I'm just looking at all this going, I've got seven pumps. Holy bananas. Like, <laughs> like which one is which. And of course I'm, I'm the person I hate tangled lines. I can't, I can't take that. I can't take that. So I think there's a little bit of ICU nurse inside me and, uh, uh, and, Yeah. So I just like, I've got all that stuff going. So even if, even if you are the person who you think you want to be an ER nurse, because you don't have the same kind of, kind of Virgo, (laughs) are you, are you a Virgo by the way? No. So, but like kind of that, that need for, you know, that, that need for structure that need for, for Mm -hmm. in the chaos, I think you can still be a very, very successful ER nurse. I think, I think that, uh, uh, the ER takes all types. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, but I but I think of all of the things that you need to have as an ER nurse, and it doesn't matter if you're in a level five trauma center or you're a level one trauma center, you got to have a lot of hustle. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of ICU nurses uh, who, who I follow on Instagram, and I won't name them because because I think they're jerks. And I say that tongue in cheek, because I love them. Um, but uh, like, <laughs> one of them talked about like, well, I'm gonna, I'm pretty tired. So I'm gonna nap for the last four hours of my shift. I'm like, you rotten R ICU nurse. You're a Hopefully horrible Hopefully, They're being sarcastic, right? No, I don't think they are. <laughs> but like, but you know, they, they, they you know when things are going well, and they have intubated and sedated uh, patients and they're stuff like that. They're kind of on that, cruise control
0: for the rest of cruise, the shift.
1: Yeah, they're on cruise control, and so they can kind of do because that you and, get and, all
0: your work done early, Michael.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the thing. Like I, I I make a joke with my charge nurses, like, okay, well, I like I sent all my all three of my patients upstairs, or right? I I got rid of my patients. Like I can go home now, right?
0: Sorry. Not how nope. that works. Here I'm getting, I'm going to
1: get, yeah, I'm going to get three septic patients all at the same time. And so like, i mean going be like, you know, at the very edge of control for me
0: mm-hmm.
1: all at the same time. But it, you have to have a lot of, a lot of hustle. Like I don't sit much at all. Um, and we're always flying around like all of us. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I think you have to come out of orientation or one of the things I had to come out of orientation for was, was understanding, um, understanding who I could go to for help. Mm
0: -hmm. So like
1: when I had three septic patients at the same time, I had, I I knew that I could go to one of my stave nurses if, if our stave rooms, um, or if our critical care rooms were, were, were not hopping at the time. And I could go to one of them and be like, Hey, like, (laughs) can you start a line in, Mm -hmm. in, you know, start a line, get, get cultures and and get labs for this person and, you know, get some, get some fluids running on this person. And I'll be in there in like 10 minutes, but I need like 10 minutes because I've got these two other patients that are just crazy. Um, uh, The other night I had uh, a COVID positive, whiny, uh, histrionic, needy, patient and DKA. Oh, fun. <laughs> Next to a severe sepsis person. And then I had this like, and then I had this like patient who was basically just waiting for transport. And, uh, and the guy who was waiting for transport, the patient who was waiting for transport was, was like, Hey, I need this. And, um, the difference between a floor nurse and an ER nurse is, is, Is I looked at him and go, I cannot think of a single thing that that is a lower priority right now for me than changing a clean dressing for you. Mm -hmm. Like it's not it's not important. And I'm I'm sorry to say that, but just you just need to wait for transport. So and the guy, you know, and and the patient was like, Fair enough. I was like Okay. Thank you. Yes. I mean, like, I'm sorry, like, I don't mean to be mean to you, but I'm just saying like, I'm just being honest with you. Right. I'm being, I'm being a human with you and in, in saying that like, I've got these two extremely sick patients and you have a clean dressing right. in, in this example, you have a clean dressing that doesn't need to be changed. And I don't care about it. I don't, mm-hmm. because that is, that is not a critical, that is not a critical task. And, and again, like, if we're talking about characteristics for, people who need to be nurses or, or people who want to be ER nurses, it's the ability to separate critical tasks and prioritize those versus non critical tasks. So, so just like everybody else who works in a hospital, you're going to ask for, you're going to get asked for, for water all the time. Be like, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll get to you. Yep. I'll, I'll get to you. And, I have no idea when right I
0: I usually would say something along the lines of I totally get that you you need that there's a really good chance I'm gonna forget because of all the other things that I need to do right now to Mm -hmm. keep you alive if I don't (laughs) bring your water please remind me later because I'm likely to forget
1: You're getting drinks of water through the Ivy I have running for you. you, So just chill.
0: Yes, you are getting, you're getting your water right now. That's tongue in cheek,
1: guys. That's tongue in cheek. I don't, I don't tell people to chill. No. Very very often.
0: Um, Yeah. So I I think it's really good for students to hear like what an ER nurse's day is like. Um, Talk a little bit about multitasking.
1: So the really successful ER nurses in my mind are the ones who are multitasking masters. You can't be, you can't be a, uh, what I call a completionist. Uh, Cause if you are, you'll, you're going to hate the ER you, you. Um, so I'm a dad, I own a house and the, the comparison I make is that like when I start a project at the house, it'll be usually like I start this thing, but then in the middle of that project, like, well, in order for me to complete this, I need this specific tool that I don't have. So I have to go out and get that tool. And then, and then I get to this point and it's like, well, in order for me to do this, I have to do this other secondary project. And so like each project or each thing that you have to do has secondary and tertiary uh-huh. things off to the side of it that you have to do in order for your primary task to work.
0: That sounds um, like you and my husband have been building the same deck. Cause it's been years now.
1: <laughs> how did you know I was building a deck? It's So I weird don't know. You to
0: guess. <laughs> Is everybody building a deck right now?
1: <laughs> so like there's, uh, there's so many times I, I, I can't tell you how many times I have been like in the middle of a, in the middle of a project and, uh, or, or in the middle of a task. And I get, I, and I get uh, a call or, a, or something else happens to, for one of my patients. Like we get a critical lab value back or something like that. And I have to stop what I'm doing in order to go take care of that thing. And it could be, and it could be two or three or five different things for two or three different patients. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I have to remember to come back to what I was doing before. Yes. And, um, one of the things that uh, one of the major differences that i've they've uh, that I've only kind of started to begin to realize um is that uh like uh, it was it was odd because we'll get nursing students every once in a while in the in the department mm-hmm. and they'll be like uh, they'll be printing off like the clinical brains you remember like cl- cl- oh, yeah. you you have I a love a brain sheet oh, you will love brain sheets <laughs> i have never used one <laughs> ever no
0: if you could use one in the e r
1: I, it's, it's literally not possible because yeah. you, because you can't take the time right. to, to fill it out. Like there's too much, there's, there's too many things going on. You'd never be able to, like it's, it's just not, it's not a useful tool. Right. Like, so everything's gotta be up here. Everything's mm-hmm. gotta be in your brain and like your actual brain, not your, you know, not piece your of paper sheet. brain, yeah. not your brain sheet. um. And you have a bunch, don't you? You have a bunch on on your website. I
0: do. Yeah. I don't have one for ER because I just, I do not know how that would work.
1: I don't know how that would, I can't even help you with that. Yeah. I wish I could. I wish I could. But like the, the, and I used one for, for clinicals and I used one for the neuro, uh, the -hmm. neuro unit I worked on and they're a great tool. Like if you find the right one that works well for you and for the, for the patient load that you have they're a great tool but you can't use those and and so like you can't be a completionist and you have to be able to remember the stuff that you were doing and the stuff that you got interrupted doing mm-hmm. to do other things and then remember to come back around to that to complete it so otherwise
0: you'll wake up in the middle of your sleep and go i
1: you you got might you do might do no whatever i i, I think I think in the ER, um, by the time a patient is ready for, uh, for admission, by the time they're going to go up to the ICU or Mm -hmm. they're going to go to a floor unit or something like that, they're stable and all of the stuff that needs to get done is done. So I don't ever wake up in the middle of the night going, did I get that patient a glass of water?
0: Okay. That's good. I don't, I don't ever,
1: I don't ever think that like, uh, uh, that's good. And maybe that's a fault of mine. I'm, I'm willing to admit that. No, that I, I think it's
0: healthy to leave work faults. at work, <laughs> leave it there.
1: No, I, but I think you have to be very focused. And mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to get distracted by the complex needs of patients, uh, you know, of their whole life and their chronic ongoing problems. And it's, and it's kind of funny that, that when we're giving floor nurses report, for example, they ask about like a skin assessment, Because that's a huge deal for patients who are on the floor. Like that's a huge deal, you know, but, but for me, like when, when a patient comes in for like an for like a COPD exacerbation, Mm -hmm. or acute cardiac issue, we're not, I'm not looking at the skin. Right. I'm I'm just not, I'm just not. And that doesn't mean that I, that I haven't for some patients who are very complex and they're coming in for like a, like a a, fill, like great examples. I had this, uh f- kind of failure to thrive patient mm-hmm. uh vulnerable adult and and i did like i did a full exhaustive head to toe on this patient i did every this patient had been bed bound for two months like wow. a skin assess- assessment even though that's not the main reason that they came in for like this was something that was important to their to their health and I did like a i did like the full thing um and then, you know, in addition to everything else. So it, it's, it's, but for the most part, for the most part, like if they're coming in for a COPD or some cardiac issue mm-hmm. or something, I'm not looking at a skin assessment. Right. So, so like when, uh, a floor nurse had asked me were like, well, what's her skin look like? I'm like, peach colored, you know, I don't know.
0: <laughs> the parts I saw looked great.
1: They're uh, they've got some really funky toenails. Uh, I don't know.
0: Well, that would be everybody.
1: <laughs> Almost. I have beautiful feet.
0: <laughs> right. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, okay. So how many patients do you typically care for at one time? Like what's the patient load in the ER?
1: Um. So typically in my ER, uh, three, which is, which is um Amazing amazing. Uh but I think because of the the high level trauma center we're in that's that's pretty much like um uh, again to use the same example that it, where I had the DKA patient the the septic mm-hmm. patient and then the you know the the patient with the the, the neck dressing. Yeah. Um I was Like I didn't do anything for the guy in the, in the neck dressing because I got him to the point where it's just like, you're just waiting for transport. I'm sorry. Like none of your needs are acute right now. I don't care. So I did basically nothing for that patient. Um, you know, I got them water and you know, a couple of the small short things or whatever, but nothing that took any real time. Um, and I was completely overwhelmed for about two hours, uh, with the, those other, with those other two patients and, uh, and I was at the very edge of my limit. Like I talked to other nurses and I'm like, I'm completely overwhelmed with these two. Like, like I'm like, I I'm at the very edge of my ability to control, uh, to, to, and to, to manage the tasks that are needed for these two patients. So, you know, I, I, I am in no way, uh, uh under, a misconception that I'm not spoiled to freaking death that mm-hmm. I only have three patients in an ER because I know a lot of ERs who are, that are, that are doing more. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how that's possible. I really don't know how that's possible. They must have like some amazing like techs and, and also NAs or something like that at the same time. Cause you know, cause I, I, I'm the one who turns over all my rooms when a patient leaves. I'm the one who toilets all my patients. Mm -hmm. I do basically, I'm a hundred percent of that patient's needs except for EKGs and like secondary blood draws, which I'm like, i don't ask techs to do anyway, because I was a tech prior. So mm-hmm. I don't need them for that. But, but uh, no, but that's, that's typically something. So I have three patients though. Recently um, bed availability has been a big issue.
0: Yeah. Us uh, too.
1: And, and, and I'll be honest with you that probably the, I mean, obviously, Hey, if you haven't watched the news, COVID is a thing. However, however, uh, the, the news, the, the way the news presents in my area, at least is like, well, 98% of beds are, are taken, you know, in our Metro area and they, they're always doing it in the context of COVID, but Mm -hmm. COVID patients are probably 20 to 25% of our total volume. So not really a lot. It's just we're still at a hundred percent of what we always see the, all the, the air quote, typical stuff that we yeah. always see. It's just 20 or 25% above that is right. this other thing that takes that where patient care takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we sit on patients. So, so in, in the ER we have what we call medical borders. And so we'll sit on, you know, twenty twenty 20 a night. So that's, oh, wow. that's, a hundred percent of our ER capacity, uh, for the number of nurses that we have at five o'clock in the morning or something like that, you know, all the rooms that we have available for mm-hmm. the staff that we have are medical borders. And we'll have patients out, out in the waiting room for six hours for normal, again, right. Air quote, normal issues,
0: the regular things. Yeah. The regular stuff that for. comes
1: into the ER at, at, at any time. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm taking, so I'll, like, for example, uh, so that my point is I'll have three medical borders and I'll just tell my, my charge nurse me like, look, I'm just sitting on these patients. Like they don't need anything. And if they do, I can handle it. I'm going to open up these other three rooms, stock them full of people so I can get them. So I'll take six, mm-hmm. seven, I've ended shifts with eight patients. Oh wow. Um, cause like some of them, like if they come in and they're, uh, what's called for us it's ESI it's like a it's like a resource and acuity measurement tool mm-hmm. that we use so ESI 4 which is low for us like very low for us um and we'll just stick them in. it's like okay it's it's things like um like a toothache you know they need a they need a mm-hmm. dental block or something like that and so they'll get that and then they move on so it's a lot to do for a very short amount of time and then I can get and then I can move them off and we'll just take care of them. So I'll take four or sometimes five of those on top of my medical orders. Um, but typically for me in, in my department three is th- mm-hmm. three is normal. Wow. And, that's good. And yeah, like that's like, I think, and I think that's a, that's a good number in the, at the level trauma center center I'm at for the, the high acuity patients that I have three patients is, the edge of control like that's that's manageable Mm -hmm. more than that is not right
0: yeah so for the students that are listening if you don't know what michael's talking about a patient in dka diabetic ketoacidosis very busy lots of things to do initially tons of (laughs) fluids tons of blood sugar checks tons of labs tons of electrolyte replacements and watching it's busy Um, busy. and then the septic patient also has a basically as soon as a patient screens for sepsis a stopwatch starts And you've got all these things that you pretty much have to do within a very specific set amount of time. Yeah, it's like a,
1: there's, for, it's, it's two lines, um, all the labs drawn, and, um, and let's, let's say two liters of water. It's not, it's, it's done by weight, but let's say two liters of water in a 30 minute period. Uh, But all the labs have to come out in about 10 minutes and that includes like them getting roomed which can take 2 or 3 minutes by itself yeah. and then you go in and do your thing decide what you're going to do order the labs get get everything printed off and you have to have everything uh labeled to the to the lab in about 10 minutes and it, so it's an extremely important uh time driven event and, and 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 nurses will often get uh kind of called to the carpet if they're not like, it's like some patient, like, okay, there's nothing you can do about that. Mm-hmm. It took 20 minutes. Big deal.
0: Yeah.
1: Your average is under this amount of time. But if you're like 30 minutes for that kind of stuff on a regular basis, like, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. And so that, there's that a lot of pressure not, to be quick. A lot of pressure. Yeah. Okay. And, and I want thank you. you to-
1: and thank you for that because I, I just. Yes. You know, just like like every other nurse who's talking about like doing shop talk and stuff like that, like there's there's tons of those tasks that we just mm-hmm. kind of assume that people understand what we're talking about, right? And and from a from a, from a practical standpoint, uh, again, the value that Nurse Mo and content driven podcasts and services like hers has is that they give you they give you that kind of content, and I don't. Um, I just expect. There's like, if I say I've got a DKA patient, you should just know like,
0: holy crap, that's you're, a lot of stuff. You're busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: For like okay. four hours. You're screwed.
0: <laughs> okay. So speaking about patients, um, you were going to talk a little bit about just a little bit of a scenarios of some patients that you've had that really bring home what ER nursing is like. So tell me about the chest pain guy that you had.
1: Um, Okay. So. Let me let me think. So that this guy was he came in for chest pain, and it was like just nothing made sense. We we did a trope, it was it was negative. We did a CT and an X-ray, not conclusive. Uh, we we're gonna discharge them. And I spoke with the doc um a couple of times, and I just kept saying, I like he's like, What do you think the deal is? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. Like, I just don't. I don't I don't have a good feeling about this and that's mm-hmm. what I said to him and I was just like I don't have a good feeling about this mm-hmm. and he is the uh he's the medical director for um, my systems EMS he's one of my absolute favorite docs to work with because mm-hmm. he's so good at prioritization he's so good at sifting through stuff and getting right to the basis he's he's like yep critical, not critical, critical, not critical, critical, not critical. And sending them to the appropriate level of care for, for what they need and be like, not critical, follow up with your primary care, not critical, follow up with your primary care uh, son, you're going to trauma, you know, that kind of <clears> stuff. <throat> yeah. And, and I, I just, I just told him, like I told him multiple times, like, I just don't feel good about this guy. Like, like there's something, and I don't know what it is. Um, And I was still in my first year of nursing. So, you know, I lacked a lot of that experience. I I just didn't have the, I didn't have the experience to say, this is what I think it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and and again, like, I think this guy is probably one of the best ER, ER docs in the country. Like he's gotta be. So while I felt there was something wrong, I didn't know what it could have been. And, and, and the pain seemed like it was more than something that is just simple angina. Mm -hmm. Um, or angina or however people different people say it uh the doc went back in and he came out to me and he was like I was gonna discharge him but I don't feel right about him either something's just not right and so we did an ultrasound and sure enough he had a wicked aortic dissection wow it was it was wicked and like I got him over to like I brought like I was like oh my God, (laughs) like grab the, grab the, grab the clutches on that, on that bed, whisked them over to, to uh, a CT. We did another CT on them. The cardiac doctor met me there with his like phone mounted uh, uh, ultrasound thing. And he's like, look at this. And you're just seeing this this thing flapping inside the aorta. Oh, it was so neat. It was so cool. And yet, and I'm looking at the patient going, suddenly i mean this guy'd been here for 4 hours oh my gosh and looked fine and, and right all the labs came back all the scans came back everything came back fine and just and yet and yet something's just not right and mm-hmm. all of a sudden i get this guy to, to ct and the doc meets me down there and he's doing the ultrasound like handheld ultrasound and shows me this this uh this dissection and if you don't understand what a dissection is, so so there are multiple layers within each one of our vessels, and in the aorta, it's a it's a really big deal if it start if those layers separate because then you're sending blood in between the layers of the veins, which is really bad because um, if you have a uh, an, an aneurysm or a burst or something like that, you're sending blood to the wrong areas.
0: Yes, it's not physiologically available.
1: Just just because a just because blood is still in the body doesn't mean
0: <laughs> it's doing anything it's
1: it's doing what it's supposed to be doing and it's
0: very painful so these and patients often have pain
1: but but he but his pain was minor i mean right. it, it was just like one of those things where he goes i just don't feel right you know but yeah. it didn't have the typical it didn't have like the typical you know knife like knife like like a pain that goes from your chest all the way through your back, which is which is very, very common.
0: That's a test question, guys. That was definitely on your NCLEX. The and, typical and, pain for a triple A.
1: And, and he had like blue lips, but like in CT. And now I'm like, like after this, this whole time, like it, there was probably a five minute period where all of this stuff and all this stuff mm-hmm. happened all at the same time. And suddenly I am sweating bullets. I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, and the cardiac and the cardiac, again, the cardiac surgeon is there and you know, he's like, look at this. This is wicked. And I'm like, take him to surgery. You jackass. Like, go, 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 go.
0: (laughs) So did he get his surgery?
1: He did get his surgery and, um, and, as far as I know, like everything turned out fine wow, uh but uh, yeah, but he left us and uh, he left us in 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 need of that cardiac surgeon's uh services, and as far as I know, we caught everything in time, wow. but it was but it was but it was one of those things where it's just like yeah and I, and I still talk to that doc about it, and be like <laughs> i'll get i'll gonna I'll get a patient with this doc who's got chest pain, and I'm like You know, just that little feeling inside, and be like, "What if it's? What if is it happening again? again? (laughs) Is it happen again with this doc? Oh my
0: gosh!
1: Uh, And then, and then, what's? Oh God! So uh, the the second the second story or or patient Mm -hmm. story I'll I'll have is like that same night with that same doc where you got this little old lady in for abdominal pain." And she came from a memory care unit. Um, no other complaints other than, you know, abdominal pain. And uh, I was the second nurse. I think it was the second nurse, maybe the third, to take care of her because of uh, uh, assignment changes and stuff like that that sometimes happen. And so we did a CT by the, by the time I grabbed her. Uh, uh, we did a CT and she had a ruptured AAA. Wow. And she's in her 90s she's in a memory care unit. Um, and then, uh, this was, this was early on in, um, uh, in the COVID pandemic and stuff like that, we tested her, her result came back positive. Oh, So she's, she is now, uh, a 90 year old woman who is COVID positive in a memory care unit with, with, uh, pretty severe de- dementia. Um, and family came in and this is one of those area uh, this is when no we were like no visitors whatsoever mm-hmm. and uh i was just like no we are bringing whatever family shows up i'm going to bring in screw screw your stupid rules right screw your stupid policy they're going to come in and they're going to see mom yeah and and uh and, and i advocated hard for that and the, and mm-hmm. i met I met a little bit of resistance, but, but I'm forceful enough. And I was pretty well known within the department for, for being not stupid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I got them all in and then um, I called up to the floor cause she was going to go up to the floor and uh, uh, the, the floor was like no visitors. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to take a visitor. If I tell you you're going to get a visitor, you're going to have this visitor who is going to come, like one of their children mm-hmm. is going to come up with you if they decide that that's what they're going to do and you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, and that's part of that patient advocacy part. Right. Uh, that's so important in nursing school. And um, and she was just, uh, this is, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little choked up on her because she was she was so pleasant. She was yeah, so, she was, she was such an awesome patient. She was so, so sweet and so pleasant. Oh. And she was such a joy to take care of. Mm-hmm. And, and then when all of these things kind of came together, mm-hmm. it was devastating. It was devastating. Cause like the, the surgeon's like, we're, we're not, we can't do anything. Like we're not, you know, yeah. at the time, we're just not going to do, we're just not going to risk all of that, all, yeah. of, all of these things all at the same time. So we're not going to operate. And, um, So she agreed that, uh, you know, she was going to remain or going to be DNR, DNI, and they weren't going to treat it. And so the, the, the family came in and they did, um, uh, they said their goodbyes and sent the patient up and stuff like that. And, and she actually, she actually lasted a long while, but like, you know, from, from the time that I got her Mm -hmm. until she left my care like her stomach had visibly gotten bigger and stuff like that. So she was leaking pretty good. Like she was, yeah, she was bleeding internally. Right. Um And there's, I mean, there was nothing I could, uh, there was nothing I could do, but it was, it was, that's, that's part of the, I guess that's one of the curses of the ER is that, is that you, the, the really great experiences, like I will always remember her. I will always remember her, and she was, again, she was so great, and her family of, was so great.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: And and like she died. I mean, she died. I mean, there right. was there was nothing I could do for her mm-hmm. uh, from my perspective. Uh, but but truly, one of the one of the greatest experiences of of my life and of my career as a nursing as a nurse. And it's bittersweet. And you're going to have a lot of those, I think, Mm -hmm. and especially in the ER, because you're not going to find resolution for so many of the patients that you have. Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely. It's a tough part of the job, but it's, it comes with it. And when you can be the advocate and you can help someone have the most peaceful, pain-free, end-of-life transition, that feels really good.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't get a lot of those. And and to contrast, I'm gonna share a third story.
0: Okay. Is this a fun story? <laughs> or at least a happier story? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. That must be your evil laugh.
1: <laughs> so I had this I had this drunk patient come in and saying that they had gotten into an argument and air quotes fell down a full flight of outdoor stairs. And this patient was really antsy and really irritated. And uh, um, I I put him into a C collar and he kept trying to rip it off. And, oh, excuse me. (laughs) So I got a meds, I got an IV, I ordered scans, did all that stuff. And he just like, couldn't wait any longer and started getting really aggressive. And I'm a big person. Like I'm six, two, I'm 250 pounds. I'm a former U S army infantryman. I've got a good physical presence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this guy was probably a hundred pounds less and eight inches shorter than I was. And, and he's like, you know, you can't stop me. You see these tattoos. That means I was in prison, you know, and you don't want to stop me from leaving if I want to. (laughs) I was like, Come on, come on dude don't make me do this like don't make me do this <laughs> you know and so you try to use that therapeutic communication you oh, yeah. soothing 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 voice and because it's like again from my past it's so easy to just slip into that like listen bro
0: <laughs> right
1: <laughs> don't 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 make me do this yes because exactly. i because i can um, but you know, you try to, you try to take a different path and, and mm-hmm. so you just like, just give a little time, you know, imaging results are almost back, you know, then we'll see what's up. And then just, just, just hang out for a little while longer. Hey, can I get you, you know, can I get you something to eat? Can Turkey I get you sandwich. a Sprite? Can I, you know, like I've got some graham crackers, I got some peanut butter, you know, got a little bit of comfort food going on. Like, <laughs> I'm like, hook you up. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hook you up. And then it was, at that time that he told me that like he got into the argument over meth and 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 admitted that he had done a bunch of meth that day and that's what started the argument and so i ended up asking for a hold and and um and as i'm doing all of this he starts really i mean there's aggressive and then there's like over the top aggressive and he mm-hmm. like jump he didn't step over the line he jumped over that line mm-hmm. and um and starts freaking out rips his c collar off and i call for security for backup and he just keeps he just keeps going it just keeps getting more and more aggressive and it's more and more out of control and and i was just like at, at one point i was just like okay security grab him he's going in the back um which means into our like secure mental Mm -hmm. health suite you know there's there's nothing in the rooms it's just it's just a simple bed you know there's 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 nothing and it's a locked unit and he's holdable so it was appropriate to to, you know for for me to make that decision Um, and he's trying to leave and he's threatening staff and just being extremely disruptive to the to the to the rest of the patients um, who are on the floor like like to the point where by extremely in need other sick patients look at me like as I go in the room and they can hear him yelling and screaming in the other room. And they're just like, go take care of that. Like, I'm fine. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later. Mm-hmm. You know, no problem. You know, <laughs> and they had real needs and they had like real actual acute needs to do. And they're just like, we're good. We're good. We'll, 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 we'll go get some water on our own. Yeah, exactly. This. Um, And so we, you know, as we start to bring them back, CT results, publish, I call the doc and she hasn't seen him yet. And they're, they're complex. You know, if you've, if you've ever read uh, the interpretation from a, from a radiologist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) some of, some of the, some of the results can be difficult to discern, uh, especially for a, for a former Mm -hmm. infantry with a TBI like me. So I'm just like, I don't know how to interpret this. (laughs) So I go to the doc and I was just like, you know, Hey, I think he's got like a broken neck and a hip and he's on a hold he's completely out of control he's a danger to himself he's a danger to the other patients and i ended up giving him you know benadryl haldal ativan uh the combo that I, I like to call the black arrow other people call it other things so if you're if you're not a like a lord of the rings hobbit fan like the black arrow is what took smog down
0: Aha. Um. <laughs> benadryl ativan haldal that's a good yep. combo
1: so it's uh it, colloquially did I say that right colloquially colloquially I think so that's uh that's that's uh in many places that's called a B52 because it's 50 of benadryl, 5 of haldol, 2 of ativan and it's pretty much a reset button and mm-hmm. and for some patients um they need that because they're just so because they feel like crap, like they don't want to be acting like they they're acting like that's not what they want to be doing. Mm -hmm. They're, they're just, they don't feel in control and they don't know how to control what they're doing. And, and so it's like a, it's like a, like when your phone or when your computer is doing all kinds of crazy stuff, sometimes you just need to turn it off and turn it back on.
0: Mm -hmm. That's,
1: that's the turn off button and that's the reset button. So, and they come back and they're generally like, whoa, that was crazy. Like, <laughs> and they're just much, it's much more manageable. Yeah. It gives them a little bit of time. We can get some fluid because a lot of times they're dehydrated. We can get an IV started and, and get some of those mm-hmm. other, thera- you know, physically therapeutic things for them and, and just kind of, you know, help them out with that. And, and, but that's what it is. Um, And it's, it's, what's crazy is that it's not very often that I'm not able to talk somebody down. Mm-hmm. I'm not the person that you would suspect on my unit. If you if you took if you took a gamut, if you lined up all the nurses in my in my department end to end and you looked at me versus everybody else, you'd be like there's no way that that's the person who's the <laughs> therapeutic talker. Uh but um but it works, but like there's very few that I can't like talk down. Right. And um and And it was just like at the at the end of an hour or two hours of this. And he was just getting more and more aggressive, more and more, you know, threatening physical violence. Like it was just that was that was that was the end. And and the unfortunate part is that I had to do that, which is which is not great. But so my warning, kids, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Meth meth is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Meth is bad.
0: Yes, it is. Um, probably see a lot of that sort of stuff in the ER for sure. But
1: that's, you know, and that stuff is not typical. Like that's not a typical day. That's those, those are, those are like the highlights of, of things mm-hmm. that happen. Like a typical day is, is a lot, yeah. um, a typical day is more routine. A typical mm-hmm. day is, you know, there's, there's 40 people in the waiting room. When I, when I get there, There are all various issues. There's ambulances that that from, from every ambulance service that we have in the area and they're all dropping patients off. Um, and, and, and yes, there's variability from the standpoint, whether it's mental or behavioral issues, sepsis, pediatrics, bariatrics, geriatrics, social work issues, all that stuff, you know, and I get everything from mild sunburns to gunshot wounds, you know, Mm -hmm. sepsis to DKA, severe alcohol withdrawal to paranoid schizophrenia and everything in between, so there's a lot of variability from that standpoint. Um, and again, I feel really lucky because we have a normal patient load of three patients. Um, and I think even with the, the three high-acuity patients, it can be really easy to fall behind. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think if there's anything that I want to leave with, with nursing students is that nursing is a team sport.
0: Absolutely. It doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't have, it, it does not matter how many patients you have, whether it's one patient in an ICU two patients in an ICU or 10 patients in a, in a, um, inpatient psych unit, you cannot do the job by yourself. You can't, you right. can't, And and you lean on others and others are going to lean on you. And, you know, nursing staff has to be a cohesive unit. And so if you're in school um, and, and, and this is, and this is where I'm going to turn it kind of back to my, to my audience or to my message in, in the audience is that you have to learn to ask for help. There, there are, there are, there uh, and, and, and maybe nurse Mo can, can help me with this or, or confirm my suspicions or my experience. Um, but there were so many of those nurses who were like, well, no, I'm going to study alone. Or no, I don't like group study sessions or whatever else. And they would just, or, you know, they're just doing their own thing. And I think it's really important to learn how to ask for help. And I think it's learn, And if you are not asking for help, you should be asking others if they need help.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, and,
1: and, and I think that's like, I think some of the nurses in my program, um, Missed that initially, um, and I think, uh, but I think I think probably by the by the time uh, a nurse is in my department for probably three months,
0: mm-hmm. they know how to ask it. for
1: yeah, they know how to ask for help.
0: <laughs> yeah, I definitely <laughs> <'Cause> agree. <we're>... <laughs> <laughs> I talk about this. I've talked about this before on the podcast, a couple of times that. You know, you're in your prereqs and maybe you're trying to get into a really competitive program. So you Mm -hmm. are kind of every man out for himself. I just have to be at the top of my class because I have to get into this program. But once you're in, you got to set that aside. It is more it needs to become more collegial. It needs to become more collaborative. I agree. And you ask for help. You offer help. You pull each other over the finish line because when you're working, those are the people that are going to save your bacon
1: for sure. I I think there's, I think there's some, some muscle grow growing to that. I think Mm -hmm. that, that when you are, I think you have to, you have to learn both sides of that. You have to learn both how to ask for help and how to see that others need help. Yes. And, and recognizing when others need help and how to help others, yeah, I think is, I think is a very important thing for all of us. Not, not, I mean, not just I mean, everybody to mm-hmm. learn how to recognize in others, because there's going to be, there's going to be times or, or, or let me, let me rephrase. There are plenty of times where I have asked somebody, I've asked another nurse, Hey, is there anything I can do for you? And they'll, and they'll look at me and they'll just go, no, right. No, and and you can clearly see that they're just not at a point where they even know, right. how to ask for help because they're just so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just look at the charts and be like, "Hey, there's some antibiotics due in this room. I got it, right." And in very like you just have to be able to know how to help people, right? Yeah, right? and I think that's an extremely important skill to learn, and, and that's best. I think that's best suited to learning in nursing school.
0: Yeah. That's a good reminder. I think so. Definitely. Well, thanks, Michael. This was super fun.
1: I think so so too. It was your idea. It was a good idea. I've waited so long (laughs) to get together with you. Like I've, uh, I've been so patient with your busy schedule. Oh, my schedule's insane. Oh, uh, i I'm blaming you, but I'm really pointing at me. <laughs> ha ha ha. <laughs> no, it's been it's been it's been a long time coming. I'm so grateful that we were able to get together and 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 thank you for you know bringing me on to your yeah on your podcast. It was it's, fun. It's, I it's, think uh,
0: everybody's gonna love it. And you guys, if you want to hear more from Michael, check out Real Talk School of Nursing podcast. It is awesome. Subscribe to that. And it's like having your uh, your best buddy with you kind of like doing a job but first, shadow.
1: But first, if you're going to subscribe to one podcast, uh-huh. one nursing podcast, Straight A Nursing.
0: Okay. But why not do two? I'm just Why not in. do two? Exactly. <laughs> okay, well thank you so much Michael. Take care.
1: All right, you too. Take, okay. take care. Bye.
0: So there you have it guys, another great podcast for you to listen to. Michael is a fantastic nursing student advocate and mentor. So I hope that came through for you a little bit today. And if you want more of that real talk, then check out Real Talk School of Nursing podcast. It is awesome and time well spent. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode as much as I did. See you guys next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.